Welcome to the Go Well podcast. This is Kate Mercer and today I'm talking with Emma Van Dahl all about therapeutic arts practice. Emma is a psychotherapist and arts therapist who is passionate about supporting infants, children, families and adult women moving through the challenges of life, mental health and relationships. Emma is passionate about the field of trauma, particularly about early life trauma, and has a strong interest in early intervention. Emma has recently finished her professional doctorate in therapeutic arts practice using arts making as inquiry methods to inquire into the lived experience of anorexia, which includes a graphic novel that is soon to be published. Emma lives in Melbourne with her partner, has far too many art projects on the go, and is about to open a new practice approaching children's and family mental health in a creative and playful way. It's wonderful to have you on the show. I wanted to talk to you on this particular interview about uh, eating disorders because you have an eating disorder yourself, as you mentioned, that's ongoing. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's... um, I. I guess in the past I had eating disorders from the age of 11 to about 25, 26. Um, I probably, yeah, I don't have one anymore. Um, But there are, you know, aspects of that that just will always continue and carry forward. Um, But it was a very, you know, extended period of time in my life that, um, that, yeah, so I, I wanted to sort of do some research in that space. Yeah, so you spent a considerable amount of uh, time and energy, actually, in, in that area. You've sent me a bit, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I guess, what would you like to share about that would be helpful to people listening in? Uh, I guess what I was really interested in exploring, and it relates to, I guess, my own experiences. I wanted to really challenge the idea of the different narratives that are often. Um, put forward in the space of eating disorders, particularly anorexia, because that was probably my main struggle. And I guess it was really about expanding how we understand the idea of voice uh, when we're working with people who have an eating disorder and thinking about, I guess, what that, what that actually is as a concept. Uh, and it was based around my own experiences of being told, and I say this a lot too, I guess, what the subjective voices for people who have an eating disorder uh, and that often it you know there's this cliche that there's the voice of the eating disorder or the voice of Anna or whatever name people might give it uh, that speaks just to pathology um, and I was really interested in um, trying to sort of unpack that a bit more and understand it because that wasn't it both was my experience but it also wasn't my experience and I guess uh, I found that being told uh, that this voice was always this one thing didn't actually help me to to get better faster, if that makes sense. So that was what I was really interested in looking at. Mm. Um, mm. And, yeah, and seeing how else, um, you know, anorexia is quite an embodied mental illness. Um, it's, yeah, mm. it's very embodied mm. and physical, as you might imagine. Mm. Um, and I was really interested in understanding how voices experienced um, both as a sensation, so different sensations of those voices, um, uh, and the different the affect, so the emotions and the feelings that come with that. So rather than focusing in on the story of what it was to have, you know, be someone who had an eating disorder. Mm, it's such a, 
I think anything you can share today will just be so important. And, you know, I keep coming across um, statistics, which are just so horrific out there. Um, And perhaps there is a way that we all need to learn a different way of um, communicating with people who have those sorts of conditions. Yeah, yeah. It is about, I guess for me, it was about trying to find a different way of attuning to those the uh for people who have mental illness and understanding that they actually have multiple voices it's not just the voice of the eating disorder and um and trying to sort of inquire into that in a more critical way you know so that we can understand and so that the individual can understand that more uh deeply and so that they can find ways to you know move towards health and well-being um and and possibly unshackle themselves from the preoccupation that 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 is anorexia as a mental illness yeah so what would you if we drill down into that a bit and from the work Mm. and all the work that you have done theoretically before we move into what you're doing in your clinic Mm. um what did you find that once again people might get value from who are listening in today yep um, that's, uh, I guess the main thing is that the value in using the arts. Uh, now, I, I um, uh, have a fine arts background, so my modality in the arts is really uh, illustration uh, and different kinds of illustration or drawing. Um, so I created a graphic novel for part of my um, thesis, um, but that graphic novel was really looking at the uh, voice in terms of how how it feels in the body so the sensations and the senses um rather than really narrating you know my past history because what i'm really was interested in and what i think is um important in the space of working with people with eating disorders is that just because you don't have the sort of clinical symptoms anymore doesn't mean that some of those sensations stop so, and it was really about trying to understand that for myself um, and, and coming to terms with that. Uh, so the arts is a good way of doing that. And I guess it's about expressing those voices in different ways because language is quite useful, particularly as a therapist. <laughs> language is our primary way of communicating. Um, but as an arts therapist uh, and as someone who also works with um, children and people with, with different kinds of disabilities, um, it's actually, there's lots of limitations with it as well. Um, so for me, it was about trying to understand how else we can express voice or voices. Um, and, and this uh, instance, it was in relation to eating disorders so that we can understand them in a different way. And, and hopefully uh, that can open up some, new knowledge about the self that can mean, you know, we move towards wellness and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot we can all learn from that actually, because I think we all need lots of different ways to reach people that are having lots of different issues. And from my understanding, particularly of anorexia and any eating disorders, I think they're particularly insidious because they seem to be, they, they attach in a way. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, I think so. I think well, what I what I use for myself is it's quite, it's quite preoccupying. <laughs> it takes up a significant amount of your thinking and your, your, mm-hmm. the way that you relate with yourself, but also the world and how you interpret those experiences. So yeah, it attaches a good way. But I think the other thing that I was really interested in too is, although that was a very difficult time for me, um, I was actually living a lot of life in the middle of it as well. So it wasn't all just, you know, this kind of terrible 
stressful, you know, difficult time. I maintained a long-term relationship, um, was very loving. I did, I did have friends. I was able to have fun. Um, there were moments of joy and it was those experiences that were nested in between that actually helped me to, I guess, um, that I took forward with me and I actually used, you know, to get better. Mm, mm -hmm. So for me, it was really understanding that it's actually quite a varied landscape. That lived experiencing is very varied. It's not all mm. about preoccupation of, you know, your, your body image and your size and your food and your diet. And I actually realised I was doing a lot of things in between, in those in-between spaces, if that, if that makes sense. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about as well, because I've seen a little bit of, in what I do, things coming up around the word fat and fatter mm. and fattest. Mm. And I noticed that you included that in your graphic uh, novel as well. Yes. Um, what, would you, what would you say to people once again, we're going out to a public audience, so that would yep. be helpful maybe around fat particularly? Oh, well, I, th I put that into my graphic novel. For me, it was about creating something that would give the sense of what that visceral sense of what, what that preoccupation with the, you know, the feeling of fat is this phenomena that's, that's common in eating disorders or people who might have um, different body image concerns around weight and size. Um, there's, a, there's a very visceral embodied feeling of that fat. It's not about being fat or being thin. It's the the, the physicality on your body, if that kind of makes sense. So I wanted to really find a way to illustrate that sensation. Um, and I, uh, for me, I think we're very quick to disregard um, what that sensation feels like for people with body image difficulties um, and attack it from a cognitive point of view in sort of, you know, that's not correct thinking. You need to sort of have a more positive body image or um, have a thought that counteracts that one. But the problem often is for a lot of people is not so much the thinking. The thinking is kind of secondary. It's the feeling that you kind of get very stuck with. If that doesn't make sense, Kate. So it was really, I think it's about trying mm. to understand what does that fit? How does that feel mm. for someone? Mm. And then once you've got a sense of that, I think we can tackle it a little bit differently to help people not feel you know, so mm. well, it's not such a preoccupying sensation because it is a sensation, even if it's one that, you know, people think is, um, you know, a psychological sensation and not, not physical. Mm. It's still a sensation that someone mm. experiences. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I find I'm talking to more people these days about embodiment therapies, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, it's interesting having to take yourself away from your, your constant thinking of your mind and into your body. We know we can do that, but then we sort of have to bring the mind into then, you know, it's like it's, <laughs> it's a chicken-egg type, type thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. So when you're working with, with people, so if you take you out of us talking about you now and take you into mm -hmm. what you've learned from your own condition and your, and your studying, what you, cause you're working with, well, can you tell us a bit about that? You're working with lots of different groups of people, aren't you? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, my main bag is trauma. So, and a lot of the people I do work with who have eating disorders or have had, um, have a tra trauma background. Now, tra trauma is a very broad definition, um, mm. but I do work with a lot of infant mental health, so early intervention, and then I work all the way through with adult women as well. Um, but, but most, the common denominator is actually trauma and, you know, whatever that presentation is for a client, that's the presentation. But, but <laughs> it usually comes back to, 
to early life experiences of relational or attachment trauma or mm. some other kind of trauma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it possible to tell me if you can't answer this question? Cause I'm just feeling my way with you a bit. Mm, that's right. Um, to describe how you might work with a person, uh, the different ways that you might, yeah, different ways that you might work with a person uh, that are not cognitively uh, approached. Uh, mm. Yeah, how, how does that actually work? Could you give Yeah, us that's a good question. Uh, well, I guess using the arts, it's, a, it's a, a way of having people to find different ways or alternative ways of, of you know, expressing yes. um, some of yep. those experiences. And when I say experiences, it could be ex experience of their body, of, the, of how they experience their own voice or voices. Um, I mean, like internal voices, obviously not yet, um, uh, to help them to understand themselves in, in, a, in a slightly different way. So it's, it's decenters, it decenters um, the sort of executive functioning that's often got the focus in therapy and is a gentle and compassionate way of, of helping people to really understand that all of these different ways that we, you know, encounter ourselves and encounter voice um, and our lived experience of, of mental illness, whatever that might be, um, is that it's an individual expression um, and that, that often when we find a way to externalise that experience, if that makes sense, like something like the arts, it can help us to build a greater knowledge about ourselves. And it's in that process um, of coming to know um, that, that people can be empowered to make different decisions and for change and transformation to occur but the thing that's really important about that process often is that you need um, someone to companion you in that which is usually the role of a therapist but it doesn't have to be it can be you know someone else that you know and trust um, but someone that can support you through that process so that it is growth promoting yeah mm -hmm. um, rather than just um, making art and being stuck with the the feelings that it that it brings up and then you don't you don't actually know how to metabolize those so that's that's how i work with people is <clears throat> excuse me is to, to to use the arts to find ways to express express mm. those experiences uh without without prioritizing language mm. um yeah mm. yeah i think it's fantastic so that could be anything from I don't know, craft, it could be knitting, it could be yes. music, it could be drawing, it could be moving around the room. Is that right? Can you actually give us an example? Like of, of Oh, yes. Yeah, well, I use a lot of visual art. So I guess for me, I did an activity this morning with a group of girls and it really was, we use painting. So it was about them to find an access point because it can be hard to know what, <laughs> what you're experiencing. So mm -hmm. sometimes you need an, an entry point or an access point. So I can use um, picking an image from a magazine resonates with you you don't need to question that too much and then creating an artwork from that uh, and doing that in a way that's sort of curious and mindful um, so thinking about the paint what texture you want it to be with the colors the movement of the brush so it's also about how you move your body when you're making the artwork mm. so all of that is about the process of, mm. of um, art making and just noticing, I think, a lot of the time what you're doing uh, and, and not judging yourself too heavily in that process. Um, the artwork itself at the end may or may not be important to someone. Mm. Um, that's not probably the focus of, of um, art therapy, but for some people it is important and, and that is a way 
it's a concrete thing that they can take away with them that symbolizes their hope or whatever they've just moved through in that session. So, um, mm. I'm, yeah, that, I, for me, there's no rules around that. Mm. Um, but it's certainly not the objective. It's not like an art class. Mm. For some people, um, yeah, sort of using more sort of dance and drama and movement-based modalities. Um, no, I'm not trained in that, so um, it's not something I can speak to, but that can help. It's a more active mm. uh, and haptic way of processing Mm. Uh, thoughts, feelings, experiences, memories, emotions, relationships. A lot of that stuff is in, embodied, like their memories embodied, um, and mm. we can only access them uh, through processes that trigger the lower part of the brain because they're what we call pre-verbal or pre-reflective. So they come before language. Mm-hmm. So to access that, we need to, we need to kind of, yeah, um, move and paint and you know move our body around and yeah I find it absolutely fascinating I think it's fabulous this area just uh, and actually even just in the way that you've explained that I've learned from that in terms of it's not about the outcome it's it's about what happens to you while you're in that mm. process that's I didn't know that so uh, ah, yeah, yeah. It, I think people, um, they, they can feel quite anxious about coming to art therapy because uh, uh, it's really interesting. <laughs> it seems to be a lot of people who get told they're not good at that. But everyone, everyone has the capacity to be creative, Kate. In fact, being creative and having an imagination is often how we survive very difficult things in life. So, Yeah, well, that, that's what I thought when you were talking. It's like there must be in the process even if it's subconscious or subliminally or something, quite a bit of growth and healing that goes on that you don't even know about. Would would that be right? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Which is therapy is kind of cumulative or the the outcomes or the effects of therapy is kind of cumulative. So I can be quite sort of feel like it's quite slow going. And particularly when you first start, you know, you have to dive in deep and get into contact with lots of difficult and distressing stuff. I mean, that's done in a, you know, in a way that's very gentle and supportive of a client, but, but, but clients go knowing I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to tap into some of this yucky stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, but sort of, I think once you've done that, um, mm. it, it does get easier. Yeah. And I think using processes that are much more responsive to our in sort of a relational and emotional needs um, can help us to feel safer and and also it's it's less threatening so yeah like that that really I, I think that's another thing as you say just thinking about it and talking to you it's very difficult words are difficult aren't they they're hard a lot harder they, yeah that's right and um mm. i guess in trauma um sometimes things are hard to, to put into words and sometimes mm. we're just not ready to, and that's okay. And we need to really honor, we need to really mm. honor that. Um, because mm. if we force someone to talk about something, they're not ready to, um, mm. it, yeah, it, it can be re-traumatizing and really upsetting for people. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, cause I've, 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 um, I've heard about sand play. Do you use that at all? I have done. Yeah. In the past year when I work with children, mm. yeah. Yeah, do you find actually, that, let's go to that, so compared to, because you said you work with, with children but right up to adults, mm. do you find that that process is quite different when you work, you must do with, with kids, because obviously you'd have all that conditioning that's come in for an adult that would get in the way, wouldn't it, when you're working with a, 
Yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, kids are, uh, I do a lot of play therapy as well. So play arts, you know, it all goes into the mix because play is the language of children. And um, adult, as adults, we, we lose we lose that language. So mm. we, we acquire, you know, obviously a different kind of language, but kids mm. communicate their experiences through mm. through play. Mm. And Santre work is very interesting because it's highly symbolic. Mm. So people, you know, often choose uh figurines and objects um in that sort of i guess makes sense of some of their unconscious um Mm, mm. or desires so again it's what we would call pre-verbal pre-reflective ways of working Mm, mm. Um, some of those objects are chosen intentionally with full conscious knowledge but Mm. but um Again, it's a process that's facilitated with a therapist and what you're looking to do is bring some of that unconsciousness to the fore um, to, you know, to, I guess, to build a more comprehensive understanding of the self and, and a sense of the self that's evolving. Mm. You know? mm. And that was the yeah. other thing I kind of looked at in my research is that often the narratives that come up around mental illness are quite fixed and predetermined and, well, actually, they're, they're, they're constant, they're alive and they're constantly changing and that, that's the that's the process of therapy is really coming to understand that. And I, that can be very liberating for a client. Just, I'm, I'm just really happy from what I can see that uh, the powers that be, governments, with a lot of work from all you guys, actually, and people like Carla, pushing mm. it along, but they're starting to take it a lot more seriously um, as, a, as an alternative to how you know, more people can be reached really using, using yeah. art therapy, really. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fabulous. And uh, I think there's, we're moving to a paradigm shift that's much mm. more sympathetic, I guess, to how mm. people actually live their life and, and what, what their experiences are of, of difficulties. Um, and making that available is supporting people's choice you know, um, mm. and it's not, it's not to replace, it's not to replace any of the amazing mm. sort of clinical mental health services mm. that are available, but recognising actually we need a holistic approach, you know, mm. Um, mm. and that, that there are gaps that need to be filled that can't be filled by those, you know, like CBT mm. and those sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, and CBT has been the go-to for so long and, and the only, the only well, there's been other things, but it seems to be that that's what's used even still, you know, the most, isn't it? Well, it's because they get, it's quick and inexpensive and they, they, they get short-term outcomes. But the, the growing body of research around CBT is less positive. Mm. CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy for people who don't know what we're talking about, just in case. Oh, sorry, yes. No, no, it's okay. Um, Anything else you'd like to say, uh, Emma, in closing? Uh, Not really. I guess I just encourage people if they are interested in exploring um, other therapies, if, um, uh, you know, to do so and to find someone that, you know, an an approach that resonates with you. and that if you are struggling with quite a serious mental illness, that um, that there is help available, and uh, hopefully, it'll, you know, some of the sort of more uh, other psychotherapies are, are coming, becoming more readily available. So hopefully, if you haven't found the right thing yet, that down the line you will. Yeah. So you got to hold hope. Yeah, fantastic. Can people actually get hold of you? Have you got a website or something? Uh, I do. I'm in the middle of changing it, but um, at the moment, uh, it's uh it's my previous name so it's uh, www.emmahodges.com.au um that'll be 
still up and running for the next couple of months until I change over. Yep. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's really terrific. I love sharing Thanks, Kate. Uh, everything about art therapy and uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing out there for everybody. It's fantastic. Yeah, no worries. You too, Kate. Thanks for obviously uh, getting these interviews and so people can learn a bit more. <laughs>